So last Thursday, we all gathered here together in the sanctuary, and we uh, had a worship service. It's kind of, it's kind of w- weird. And I use weird in a good way, because sometimes weird can be good. But sometimes people don't quite understand the meaning of what to do with a Monday, Thursday worship service or a Good Friday worship service. It's a real downer. Because as you come into the service, everything is black, everything is dark, and it gives us a chance to sit and rest in the very real truth that Jesus, God's only beloved Son, who was, came here to love and save us, and to do that had to die on the cross for the penalty of our sins. And so it's a very moving service as we sit there and we remember all of the things that he had to do. This Thursday, we talked about uh, Peter, the uber disciple, the disciple of disciples who hung the stars and moon, right? He, he's, he's the one who said to Jesus, you are the Christ. He is the one who was there at the transfiguration. I mean, he is the dude. And Peter, on that night that Jesus was betrayed and then tried, denied the Lord three times said, I don't know who he is. I don't know who that man is. I was not with him. And as he did that, scriptures tell us a rooster crowed just as Jesus foretold to Peter. And Peter saw Jesus look at him. That look that when I originally have read through this, it was a discovery for me, that look that says, Peter, I know you. I know your heart. I know what you have done, and maybe possibly, I'm not done with you yet, but I don't know if Peter was ready to handle that, because as his eyes looked and pierced his soul, Peter left crying bitterly, but the scriptures tell us he remembered all of the teachings that Jesus taught him, which leads us to believe that Peter was beginning the starts of repentance. He had to break. Peter had to feel the weight of his sin and the cross in which Jesus was paying for that. And we all have to feel that as well. An unbroken Peter is an unbearable one who doesn't understand the cross. And an unbroken you and I, yeah, we may love Jesus' teachings, but if our heart isn't broken by the penalty of, of why this all happened, well, then we'll never truly, truly accept it. So the hope of Monday Thursday service is that we rest in that and that we are reminded of that and that we have some sorrow and we have some lament. But today, oh my friends, today, we get to remember and we get to proclaim and praise what Jesus told his disciples. You're going to weep and be sad right now, but oh my friends, your joy will return because I am coming back. Today our joy is restored. The grave stands empty. The stone is rolled away. He is not there, the angels say. Today death is defeated and life and love wins. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's do this a little bit better. We can be true Baptists even though we're in a Presbyterian place. After I say each one, you say amen. The grave stands empty. The stone is rolled away. He is not there. Death is defeated. And life and love wins. You all did that perfectly.
gosh, we got another one. We're gonna, yes, we're going to keep going. Oh, my friends, imagine that morning. Take a moment and remember. Imagine that morning. The reactions of the women that all four Gospels talk about. Just a mixture of fear and joy and questions and doubts. It's you. Why? How? What? Just total shock and amazement. And there are many passages that we can look at today to start off, to kick off Easter. But the one I want to look at today really ties into our whole abiding series. We've been in a worship uh, series for the last um, six weeks, six or seven weeks of, of Pentecost, or Pentecost, goodness, of, of Lent that leads us to Easter. And abiding means that, that God, through his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit, take up permanent residence in your heart. They set up their dwelling place. They become your permanent house residence, not a house guest. A house guest kind of gets a little, you know, annoying after four days. This is a resident, right? A residence in your life. And the purpose for which that they are there is to restore us. It's to remind us, convict us. It's to teach us. It's to do all the things that helps us understand the ways and the path that Jesus would have us live. And today... After the stone was rolled away on that Easter day, there was a little evening committee meeting. And the disciples were found in a room locked. And they were afraid and they were scared. And the resurrected Jesus comes through that locked room with his nail-scarred, wounded hands, stands in the midst of their company and gives them two gifts and some instructions. And he sets them off with a cell phone ringing, which is fine, Say hello for me. <laughs> and he sets the disciples off restored, refreshed, and renewed. And my hope is today as we peek into this scene, this kind of frozen in time as we look down upon it, that we too will leave here today with knowing that the resurrection restores, refreshes, and renews us that there is something great that is happening with this now fully resurrected Jesus and that the power of the resurrection, which is timeless, everlasting, and eternal, continues to affect all of us who humbly receive and believe it. Are you excited for this morning? Let's dive in. So, open up John chapter 20. So there are Bibles on the back of the pew. You all may take those out and, you know, open those up or look on your phone. Don't cruise the internet or I'll shut down that Wi-Fi. Now, open that up. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. So we, if you're at the sunrise service, the stuff that was preceding this passage was Mary Magdalene going to the tomb and, and being sad and weeping and Jesus asking her, why? Why are you weeping? Don't you remember? And as soon as he says her name, it just remembrance of everything that he taught them and her realization that she is looking at the risen Lord just washes upon her and she is sent with this message to go tell the other disciples. So then it continues then in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came in and he stood among them. Now, the better way of saying that is that not, see, the ESV, we like this is the ESV version and I love the ESV version. I feel like they, they kind of 
they kind of um, didn't step up to the plate here of what's actually happening. Because it's not just stood among them. He came in and stood in the middle, in the middle of those disciples. And that's important because he's saying basically everything I'm about to say is going to center on what just happened. Wounded hands, resurrection. Stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Again, that word glad, it's joy. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Some other versions would say, just as the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins, the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have this little gathering. And what Jesus is doing is he is giving them two gifts. And these two gifts have a meaning behind them that affect our everyday lives, affect their lives, and it affects our lives as well. And this is where we get this whole restore, refresh, renew. The first gift that he gives, does anyone want to take a guess as what he gives them? There's two gifts. What does he give them? Who said it? Peace. What did you say? Peace. The Holy Spirit. I guess, you know what? You know, Jane, the third, we could say the third gift, but I won't have time to preach on that, would be the Holy Spirit. But I really want to focus on the first two, which is peace. Peace is given. It's not a command. It's not anything, anything other than him coming in and saying to them, my peace is yours. There's no verb in that sentence. It's just peace to you. My peace is yours. Now, these disciples are in this room, and it's locked, and they are afraid. It's very much like the scene when they're on the boat, and the storm is crashing. They are in a literal storm of chaos and uncertainty. The very person that everyone knew that has been now tried and convicted of blasphemy against God, where not even the Roman officials stopped this unfair trial has now been convicted and murdered and killed. And that they who call him teacher, the disciples, everyone knows that they're with him, that they followed him. And so it goes to the figure that they're afraid because they are most likely going to be next. You want to stop a rebellion? You want to stop what's going on? You knock off the leader and you get rid of all the followers as well. And so they are huddled into that room, totally afraid of what's going on. And just as Jesus stood on the shore to calm the waves, he comes in through that locked door. And it's a great mystery. Do not look at this as Jesus is some ethereal floating being. He is a fully risen human body, but he's also God. And so locked doors mean nothing to him and is able to get in through the locked door, and he stands in the middle, and he gives them peace. Peace. I preached on peace before and called, taught, called our attention to the Hebrew word shalom. And what shalom is, is that full restoration 
of the broken relationship between humanity and God. And so this first gift of peace restores that which is broken. The disciples are broken. They left him. They deserted him. They, they don't know what's going on. And his first action is to say, I am restoring what is happening here. My peace to you. And if there's one thing that I would have you leave here today, which is that the truth of peace of the resurrection, the truth that of the cost of our rebellion is that an empty grave is there to prove he lives and restores all of us who are lost in the chaoticness of our chaos of our life. We who seek are found by him. And he shows them the wounds to remind them of the cost. And this not only reminds them of the cost, but for all of us looking at it now, it grounds it in history. These 11 now see it and now are eyewitnesses to the fully resurrected Lord with the wounds there present of what he just endured. That means this is really, really real. And then the second effect of this first gift of peace is not only restoration of that relationship, but it then brings joy. The ESV says they were glad, and like I said, they really dropped the ball on this. It's a real wet noodle of a, uh, of a description here. Because they are fully rejoicing at seeing their risen Lord in their midst. This is really real. And if it's really real, that means that if he can have victory over the death, that means everything else that he taught was true. And we are looking and beholding the Christ. Don't ever for a minute think that this is some fairy tale. This is God putting on full display how he is now bringing all of his lost sheep back in to the family. His son paying the price and now standing in their midst, in the middle of what they are doing to say, my peace to you, I restore you and your joy has returned. Now this gift of peace was given twice. If we look at verse 21, he says this, now Jesus said to them again, after they've experienced the joy and saw all the wounds, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. And so the second purpose of this gift of peace is to refresh and renew us, to refresh and renew our purpose. There's still work to be done, Jesus is saying, after the resurrection. I've done this great and awesome thing, but... Now is your turn to now take up this ball and go with it. Because as we know, the resurrection was not the last bit of his action of this, this farewell. He died, he was gone for three days, he comes back. But then we also know, and the disciples know too because he told them, that then he's going to leave now and they have now some things to do. We have things to do on this side of the resurrection. The gospel is still moving and working, and we're being called to be active participants in that. Not restored to remain in a locked room, and definitely not restored to remain in these pews. He says, just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Peace, you are restored, but now allow me to refresh your memory. Just as I have been sent by the Father, now I, Jesus says, am sending you. Have you ever thought 
about the great commission of Christ, who says, go and make disciples, and everything that, you know, we are told we are sent. Have you ever thought of it that we are supposed to be doing it in the same manner as Jesus? Full stop. He says, just as the Father sends me, I am sending you in the same way. I think the discipleship problem in our world is that we as present-day disciples fail to truly understand and greatly underestimate the power of just as. The power of just as. We think, well, if I run into somebody and they ask me, then maybe I'll say something. That is not how Jesus was sent. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life and not perish. And so as Jesus was sent, he was sent to do exactly that, to bring salvation, to be the embodiment of the truth of the one who sent him, and to love and to serve. And so we are just as sent to do the same thing, first and foremost, with the peace and restoration through the grace of the risen Lord, and second, to live it out and love others as he loved us, seeking out the lost and the hurting, the sick and the diseased, the rejected, the ones who we withhold forgiveness from, and the ones in which we need to ask forgiveness for, and share our lives in a way that reflects the truth of Christ. To be sent just as him is to love the world as he has loved us, to see the world with his eyes and to share that good news wherever we go, just as he lived. And now this is not new information for them, and it's not new information for us. The second gift of peace refreshes and renews them. It renews their purpose and promises them the tall order of just as will not be accomplished on their own power because that is impossible. Verse 22, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit the third gift, if I were to rewrite it. Receive the Holy Spirit. And now let's bring this all home. Because we just spent six weeks talking about the abiding presence of the person of the Holy Spirit. And here it comes together. Now some of you, real quick, if you are Bible scholars, you'd be like, wait a second, this is uh, saying that the Holy Spirit came the night of Easter, and Luke and Acts whom we all were studying Acts as a church right now, said that the giving of the Holy Spirit came 50 days later at Pentecost. Don't get all turned around. We also know that the Gospels write things for a purpose. And John is really trying to bring this all together. He, he spends chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, a great chunk of his Gospel, is spent on how the Holy Spirit is going to come alongside in the presence and in the lives of these disciples while Jesus ascends to the Father. And so now he's tying this up in a nice little bow here at the end. Both things that unite both Gospels is that the Holy Spirit was given and that the charge of going to love others as he has loved us, to make disciples, to share the Gospel, that charge is not on our own power. That's the uniting thing. You don't do this alone. In fact, if you try to do it alone, we'll probably fall flat on our face. 
This is from the power of the abiding spirit living and working through us, refreshing us, restoring us, and renewing us of the great truth of the risen Christ. And so here we are now with Jesus in the middle of their company, talking to them about the abiding power and breathing in this Holy Spirit. And he then what he does is fulfill everything that he taught them in those farewell teachings that we have studied all Lenten season long. Okay, let me explain. So here he is in the middle of their company. He now breathes on them. He gives them peace. He does all these things and now connects the dots of what it means to have the abiding presence of the Lord inside you. What do I mean? Well, the resurrection itself. He comes into this meeting, shows in the wounded hands, and fulfills what he said in John chapter 14, verse 18, which is, I will not leave you as orphans, and I will return. Here now at this meeting, he gives them peace and says, peace to you twice, which fulfills what he said in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. Then there's a restoration of joy. Upon seeing the risen Lord and the wounds, they were filled with gladness and joy, which fulfills John chapter 16, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but your sorrow will turn to joy. And then the sending and being sent, as the just as I send you out, fulfills John 17, verse 18, as you sent me, Jesus says, into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And lastly, the abiding spirit helper friend, the promised advocate who's to come alongside, now breathed on them in this little meeting, fulfills John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The spirit of truth who dwells with you and will be in you. The peace secured by the resurrection, this restoration, this refreshment, this renewal fulfills everything that Jesus taught his disciples. Everything. Again, this is not some fairy tale. God came down from heaven to tell the world, I don't make junk. I created you to be very good and in a harmonious, together relation, abiding relationship with me. And yes, sin has been brought into this world to pull that apart, but I'm not going to let that separation stand there. And sends his son to bridge the gap for humanity so that we can walk through him the way to get to the eternal place with the Father in heaven. That's what abiding is. The full presence and person of the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling inside you restoring you, refreshing your memory, and renewing you for your purpose. To not only love others in the way that you have been loved here on this side of this earth, but to joyfully expect the eternal place that he has secured with that empty tomb. Because death no longer has a sting. It doesn't get to put a period at the end of your life. It just ends a chapter and a new chapter awaits one in which we will be with the holy triune God, the sun radiating 
S-O-N, not the sun in the sky. And that we would be filled with that light and that joy and that peace. Go and tell others of this great news that he is risen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for connecting dots. I thank you so much for the tapestry that we don't understand, but when it flips over and we see the full picture of everything that you're doing, how could the disciples have known as you taught them, as we read through John 14 through 17, all, this, all these things about the goodbye, how could they have known? And then in their forgetfulness of their fears and their doubts, you come in their midst fully risen to restore that relationship of brokenness, to refresh and renew their souls and minds for what you are doing in their lives and how you are sending them out. Oh, Lord, do the same for us. May we never, ever, ever forget the cost of the cross and the greatest gift of all, the resurrected Son who defeats death so that we may have eternal life. Allow that to give us joy that overflows so that we may share it with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The King of kings, the Lord of lords has risen. Do not look for him in the tomb. He is not there. He is now ascended to the Father and has sent to us the Holy Spirit to dwell richly inside of us so that we may go out there today with a skip in our step, with some joy in our hearts, and with the peace of the restoration and the renewal and the refreshment of the risen Lord. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. 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 Go now to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Happy Easter.